Welcome to the EFCA West podcast. I'm Tim Jacobs, District Superintendent of EFCA West and your host for today's podcast. Every first Wednesday of the month here at EFCA West, we do what we call a first Wednesday workshop, and it is an online Zoom opportunity for one hour in the middle of the day to talk about all things related to church leadership, culture, and just how to get better better at what we do when it comes to leading churches, leading people, and all of the things associated with that. So recently, the subject matter was transformational preaching, and Darren McWaters was our guest, and we had the opportunity to hear from him. How does he prepare a sermon? What kind of thought process goes into it? How does he utilize notes, illustrations, approaching the text, and what is a weekly schedule look like for him. And so my thought is, if we can just get a little bit better by hearing from the best practices and what works well with what others are doing, then it is time well spent. So this episode is a rebroadcast of that conversation that happened October 6th, 2021. So without any further ado, Sit back, relax, hang on, buckle up, because here we go. Transformational preaching with pastor, lead shepherd of Fullerton Free Church, Darren McWaters. Uh, first of all, welcome. This is our first Wednesday workshop, and I want to welcome all of you, and especially those of you who maybe this is your first time joining us. So glad that you're doing this, and this is our opportunity to be able to um, kind of drip in best practices, um, stuff that you guys are dealing with as pastors and church leaders and do it in a really convenient format. And so, um, first of all, today we're going to talk about transformational preaching. And I really want to commend every single one of you that has hopped on this call. And the reason why is because preaching is a very personal thing. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of pride that comes quickly to it, you know, in terms of this is my style, this is how it should be done, this is how I do it. And I think it takes a lot of humility and maturity to take time to listen to how someone else does it and to kind of sit under the um, expertise and practices of of somebody else. And and so my goal, just to throw a little bit of vision out there, my thought is um, for everybody on this call, for I think of all of you, all of us here with EFCA West, if this next hour helps us, helps all of us just get 10% better. I mean, just like, you know, think about it, just 10% better, which isn't, a, which isn't a lot, but that is a lot. Just because you pick up something today, you pick up something that, that um, Darren's going to talk about, and you go, oh, I never thought of that, or something about it just kind of opens up for you, then this, this is huge. And that's what I'm, I'm hoping will be accomplished here you know, get some creative ideas or whatever else. Um, The other thing too, is we know as much as we want to talk about disciple making and we want to talk about um, the importance of leadership development and everything um, that, that what happens on Sunday morning, no matter what, no matter what anyone says, what happens on Sunday morning, that 30 to 45 minutes or whatever it is that you take is critical to whether people are going to stay at your church, whether new people are going to come in terms of your ability to lead and influence your church. So preaching is still of the utmost importance to all of us. So um, this is going to be really practical. If you have a question, put it in the chat. But but I'm so grateful that we have Darren McWaters, who is the uh, Darren. Tell us what what is your title? Uh, my title here at Fullerton Free is Lead Shepherd. So 
yeah. So we basically made the elders made the transition, what probably two years ago to kind of change all the pastoral titles. We did a long, it's like a year and a half study where we were looking at titles, uh, and they made the determination at the end that that since Jesus is the only one who gets called pastor technically as a title, they didn't uh, they didn't want it, the rest of us to use it. They like the idea of shepherding. There's there's a lot more that goes into that. But so all of our all of our leaders, all of our shepherds on staff are, are called that. So that's great. That's great. And so mm-hmm. I asked you to guide our time today and to to be the one that, that I would talk to you about this and, and we could glean wisdom from you. And obviously, and let me tell you why, though, because, I, you know, if people may not know this, but, you know, so you are the you are the lead shepherd at Fullerton Free. So you're responsible primarily for the preaching and the teaching and the, and the vision and the direction and everything else. You also have done a number of uh, other things, but you, you preach um, and you, you're one of the uh, uh, speakers at Hume Lake um, a lot and you speak there a lot. So you're speaking to young people. But let me, that's not the reason why I asked you to be a part of this. Um, uh, the reason why I asked you to be a part of this was because I went on your website and I clicked on one of your sermons and I think you were teaching through a genealogy in Genesis. This was a few <laughs> months back. And, and here's the thing, as I started watching you and I started watching your sermon, I found myself inadvertently not wanting to turn it off. I wanted oh. to keep listening. And, and, and I had to kind of come back and go, wait a second, I don't want to turn this thing off. What is it about what Darren is doing that makes me want to keep listening, especially with a genealogy? And so, so, uh, so that was the thing that, that, that made me go, you know what, I want to, I want to listen, I want to hear from you as to kind of what, what, how you approach things. So first of all, why don't you just tell us, um, you can give us a little bit of your background if you want, but I would just love to hear, um, you know, you're, you're preaching regularly. What are you preaching through right now at Fullerton Free? Like what series or, or book are you going through? Yeah, so right now we're, we're teaching through Genesis and we're doing that verse by verse. So we'll be in the, we've been in this series um, since just after Easter and we'll be in it all the way until summer of 2022. So that's, uh, we'll take a little break for Christmas. You know, there's a couple of little things that we'll break out into, but we're teaching straight through. And I, I was telling you before we started, when we began, like in the first couple of chapters, we were going a lot slower, but now we've kind of ramped up. So as we get further in, we're taking most of the time, we're taking whole chapters at a chunk. Um, so, or even like a whole section of genealogy. So I think that particular week I was probably doing like a chapter and a half. So, yeah. So we're working through Genesis. We've recently gone through uh, John in the four years plus that I've been here. We've gone through the book of Hebrews. We've done Ephesians, we've done Daniel. We've, I mean, we're, we're kind of working our way through a little bit at a time. So, so let me ask you this, this is kind of out, out of the blue here, but in your opinion is, is preaching something that is like either you can do it or you can't, or is it something that you can really learn how to be good at in your opinion? I, I think it's a little bit of, I think it's a little bit of both. I think there's a calling, right? So I don't think it's like, I don't think it's the same thing as teaching because there's a, with, with regular teaching, there's a sense of you learn the information and you try and clear, like clearly communicate the information. But there's a, there's a piece of preaching, in my opinion, that, that requires discernment and it requires um, a sensitivity to the movement of the spirit, both in the preparation and in the delivery that isn't just like regular teaching. So that's not to diminish at all the role that like a U.S. history teacher would take, but it isn't the same it's not the same thing. There's a spiritual dimension to it that I think makes it 
really necessary to be sure there's a calling and a gifting. There are a couple of those things that I think are really key. And, uh, you know, in my experience, I'm always wanting to try and raise up new preachers too, like to identify who they are and where they're at and give them opportunities. And there are times where you'll see somebody who's got a clear teaching gift and you go, oh, you know, come on, like, let's utilize this. And then you get a little bit down the road with them and you go, that's a teaching gift, but it's not necessarily a, a preaching gift. And I know those two terms can be defined a lot of different ways. But for me, it really comes down to sensitivity to the spirit of God and discernment in the moment and in advance, um, kind of the ability to sort of get out of the way and let God go, do what he's going to do in, in the moment as well, which is different than working through just like a classic teaching plan where you're like, I have to get through the Civil War by the time we get to the end of this you know, period. So, yeah. How, so in, in, on that, how much of it in your mind um, do you see it as an art form because like you're a musician you've you know you've 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 had a band um you you performed how much of it do you do you see it as as a as a you know as an art form as a as a creative exercise well I, I certainly think there's a creative aspect to it but i don't think that should be daunting to people who wouldn't consider themselves artists so there's a creative aspect in that you're trying to take uh you're trying to take a timeless passage and you're trying to communicate both what God wants to say in that particular moment, but also what it's historically always said. And you're wanting to do that kind of incarnate it through your own life too. So the creativity comes in sort of figuring out like, who are you and who has God designed you to be? And what does your voice sound like? One of the things I really like about mm. preaching is listening to the breadth of different styles and approaches. Uh, Zach Zienka, who spoke here at Fullerton Free on Sunday, is drastically different teaching style than me. He's slow and methodical like he's very it's very you can tell he's thought about every word whereas i talk fast and his dynamic range is a little smaller than mine so i'm loud and quiet and up and down and you know i'm pacing back and forth and he's standing behind the podium i actually really like that and what he does in my opinion is as artistic and as helpful and creative and actually when when in the course of like the life of the body you've got this um this breadth of different teaching voices um, that really begins to kind of do what I think Ephesians talks about, where together with the saints, you start to see something of the, the breadth of the love of Christ, because it's being made manifest in different voices in different ways. So, yeah, I mean, my teaching style is my teaching style. And when I sit with other people and go like, you should, you should maybe be a preacher, you should be a teacher. I'm not necessarily encouraging them to do exactly what I do, but rather to kind of figure out well, what's your, what's your thing? Like, what's the kind of voice you've got and what's that going to look like? And then I, you also have to count on the fact that God's going to bring uh, people from your city and from your neighborhood to your church. And they're going to be suited to hear your voice because God's uniquely put you in that place to minister to that unique group of people. But there are also going to be people who are like, this guy talks too fast or he doesn't use enough of, you know, he's not talking out of commentaries and, or, you know, there's always going to be people who self-select out too and go, yeah, I don't like this. I like something else. So I, that's another reason why I like breadth and teaching too, because if we have multiple voices, you know, then the people who hate my teaching, they probably really like Zach's. That works out okay. Um, so how, I, this is cool, because I didn't intend to go off on this tangent already, but but you talked about kind of your voice and everyone's got their own voice. And I think that's a big thing because we have 20 eight people on this call, we have 28 different voices. How did you develop and in a sense, find your voice and be comfortable in it? Or are you still 
trying to, are you still making adjustments along the way? Like if you've learned to be comfortable in your own skin. So I think, yeah, there's, that's a good question. I think there's a sense in which, so when I was in the band, I was in a Christian band in the nineties and we were doing concerts and I had a guy at a coffee shop who was like, if you're going to play at our coffee shop, I don't just want to hear Christian music. I want you to share the gospel. There are going to be all these people here who need to hear the gospel and I want you to do it. And I was like, no, I'm not a preacher. I'm a singer. Like, I'm not like, invite them to your church if you want. And he's like, I'm not going to let you play in our coffee shop unless you promise to share the gospel. And so I was like, I really wanted the gig. So I agreed to share the gospel at this. I haven't told this story in a long time. I agreed to share the gospel at this concert in this little coffee shop. Uh, there's probably like, I don't know, there may be like 80 people in the room. And I stopped to honor the owner. I share the gospel. And there are like 10 people that respond and give their lives to Jesus. And I remember when that concert got done, looking at the rest of my bandmates and being like, we're never going to do another concert where we don't share the gospel. Like, I never want to just entertain people again like that. So I, I part, of, part of the preaching thing that manifested in me started with a coffee shop owner in Arizona demanding that I, that I share the gospel. So fast forward then to, um, you know, like seven years later, I've been teaching kind of along with our music ministry and I'm at Hume Lake. And I'm having a conversation with the assistant director there. And I said to him, hey, someday when my music's not viable anymore, whatever, I'd love to come on staff at Hume and I could write original songs and I could lead worship and I could be like a staff musician. And this guy looked at me and he goes, he goes, someday we'll hire you to work at Hume. But when we do, we're not going to hire you to do music. And he goes, don't don't take this the wrong way. But music is not your gift. He's like, preaching is your gift. He's like, you're using music to preach like some people use you know, uh, overhead projectors or they use puppets or whatever. He's like, you're using music as a vehicle to preach. But when I hire you, I'll clear out the middleman. I'd rather just have you teaching and preaching. That's what I, that's what I'll hire you to do. And so there was kind of this prophetic moment where somebody spoke to me of my gifting in a way that I hadn't even recognized in myself. And so that's another pivotal moment that was in 97. And I will say that from 97, from that conversation on the deck to today, um, I've done less and less music and, and I've done more and more teaching, but but I would say I'm, I continue to find my voice. So back to that conversation, like this is how it started for me, but I continue to find my voice. And I think you have a different voice in different contexts and in different time periods too. So I, I wouldn't, I, I don't think I ever feel settled. Like there's never a Sunday where I show up on Sunday morning and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to crush this today. You know, it's always like, well, I did my work. I prepare, but I don't know. Let's see what God does. And then I get done at the end and it kind of doesn't matter what the feedback's like. I kind of go, yeah, there were pieces of that that felt like they were exactly right. And there were pieces of that that felt like eh, probably could have been better. Interestingly, God uses even the stuff that I don't love, you know, so there's pieces of messages that I would go, oh, I wish I hadn't done that. And inevitably, that'll be the piece that people will come up to me and go, oh, I loved it when you did this. And I'm like, yeah, that was an accident. So I'm glad you liked that, whatever, you know. Yeah, so I feel so like I'm, I'm finding voice over time as well. Yeah, good. So you're you're trying to, to continue to develop and continue right. to hone it. Yeah. Um, wh- so walk us through what a typical um, sermon prep process looks like for you. Okay. So first step, like the very first step is the, like I determine teaching schedule for the church. I do that like way out in advance. And I do that with a team of people that I've identified on our church staff. So we work together to go Okay, so for instance, Genesis is going to finish for us in summer of 2022. I'll meet with this team of teacher team of teachers on my staff. Some of them aren't even on the staff; they're people from our church. And I'll go, "Where does God want us to go after that?" So we'll have a big long conversation about where we go after Genesis. 
then I kind of take all that information. I pray over it. I bring a, I bring a suggestion back to the teaching team of where we're going to go. I take that to the elders. Once that stuff's all affirmed, we lock in our teaching schedule, but we lock our teaching schedule in a year and a half, sometimes two years in advance. I know where we're headed. So that's the first step is like collaboration, prayer, assessing where we're going to go. And then we just trust that. So I'll say too, like, it might feel weird that we are planning our teaching a year and a half out, because what if you want to do a thing this week about the political climate? Or what if you want to do this a thing this week about racism, or you want to do a thing this week about whatever, man, I just trust the process. And God has spoken to our people in a powerful and timely way again and again and again with a sermon series that we planned a full year in advance. So I don't, I don't jettison that plan. Um, but then for me, just week to week, um, the second step is I meet with that teaching team and we walk through the text together and I'm listening for uh, questions they might ask or different approaches, things they've studied, things they've heard, things they love in the text that wouldn't come natural to me. Cause all of us come to a text with our bias, right? I got my, I, I went to a conservative Baptist school I grew up in a fundamental Baptist house. I got all kinds of King James stuff in my in my closet, right? So it's really helpful to sit with a team of people, young and old, people who've been walking with Jesus longer than me and less time with me, and have them look, for instance, at, at Genesis 4 or whatever, and go like, what do we see here? And what's God doing here? And what are the major themes? So I take meticulous notes. I'll take four pages of notes in that teaching team meeting. And then that just kind of sits in a cabinet until like the week before I'm going to teach. And, um, and then I basically, I take the text. So my, my seven day up until the teaching is basically, I sit with the text for a full day. So early in the week, I'm just reading the text and only the text. I'm just kind of meditating on it. I'm memorizing the structure, the way it's organized, why I'm sort of trying to contemplate why has he put the things in the order that he's put them in? You know, what, why is this, what, what is this text saying to me? And then my second step, which usually happens like on Tuesday or so, is I start to outline that. Like, what do I think the major, what, what, what do I need to learn out of this? What are the things that feel timely and important for our congregation? But what are the things that God's shaping in me through it? Then on Wednesday, I'll kind of do a, an outline of how I would teach it. So Tuesday, Monday is just the text, basically. Tuesday is, is a rough like assessment of what I think the main points and content are. Wednesday is an outline of how I would articulate those things. So I'm, I'm writing a basic outline on Wednesdays. <clears throat> then Thursday, I'll actually like sit down to write the sermon, which I don't manuscript. I just do a bullet pointed list. I know that if I have a, a bullet pointed list, that's on a half a page that for me, that's like 35 minutes. If I go over half a page bullet points, I'm too long. And if somebody wants me to teach a 15 minute devotional, I can only do half of a half page, like a quarter sheet, you know? Cause I just, so, I ramble. So, okay. So what, yeah, that's, that's important. So, so for your, your sermon, then you're saying you're comfortable with like uh, a page or a half a page of bullet points. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that bullet pointed list has a mix of things. It's mostly a roadmap. So it's mostly for me, a roadmap of like, I want to start here and I want to finish here. And along the way, I want to make sure I don't miss what God has said to Abram or what, what Abram's response is, or let's not miss, you know, so I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'll even, if there's like a particular phrase, I want to say a particular way, I'll write that in my bullet pointed list and then I'll highlight it and underline it. So like when I'm teaching, I don't miss those main things, but, um, but it, it's not like a, it's not like I'm writing out word for word. I'm just using a bullet pointed list. And I could send you a copy of that, Tim, if you wanted to just see one of my half page deals. But that's kind of my, 
that's kind of my Thursday. Then Friday, I check my work. <clears throat> so Friday is when I look at commentaries and make sure I haven't fallen into any classic heresy, make sure I haven't, uh, you know, like, like I'm not off on a tangent that doesn't make sense or what, you know, like I'm basically just making sure that I'm, I'm on solid ground, checking my work on Friday. And then Saturday, I, I work on illustrations. And that's been a change for me over the years. So when I started preaching in my 20s, uh, I would have a really great illustration, and then I would build a sermon around that. I have a really funny story, or I'd have a really great uh, anecdote or some kind of an analogy, and then I'd build a message around. Sometimes I even had what I thought were really clever sermon titles, and then I'd build a sermon around that. Over time, it shifted to where now the last thing I do, sometimes on Sunday morning, you know, five minutes before I'm walking up to teach, I still don't have an illustration for the day because I'm just not, I just don't feel like that's the most important thing. So I, I take those things last. Yeah, so it sounds like, and I think a lot, I think a lot of people are probably going like, "Wow, you know, that's a you you use a limited amount of of written notes." Um, that's one thing I noticed when I watched you was I'm like, you were not relying on notes hardly at all, it seemed. And but it, what it sounds like you do is you spend a lot of time mulling it over in your head and putting it. To, so it's not when we talk about bullet points, it's not like you're just saying, oh, "I got a few notes written down here." You've got it in your head. Yeah. Clear. So I'm up early on Sunday mornings. On a, on a Sunday, I'm going to preach. I'm up early before my family wakes up. I'm up at five and I'm at the kitchen table with a cup of coffee and that roadmap, that half sheet of, sheet of paper. And I'm using that time both to mark my Bible to make sure. So I, by the way, I use, a, I use an iPad mini because I, I have this funny quirk where if I use a paper Bible in the time it takes me to turn to the next text. So if I'm turning from Genesis to quote something out of Romans or whatever, um, I fill up all the empty space with racket. So like my, I noticed this early on, I, I'll be like, let's turn to Romans chapter two. And then I'll go, like, I just make noise. It's stupid. So, um, so the iPad really helps me because I can put all of my scripture passages in sequence. And then when I'm teaching, I can say, let's turn to Romans two. I hit a button. It takes me to my next text. And I don't have to turn, I don't have to look for it, and I can continue to teach while the congregation is turning, or you know, maybe they're doing the same thing on their phones or whatever, but um, it, it just creates a, a streamlined system for me. But what I was going to say is on Sunday morning at five, I'm, I'm marking my Bible, but mostly I'm flash memorizing that map. So it's like, um, it's like if you were back in the day before GPS, and I was on tour during that time, so when I was touring with the band, if I knew I was going to drive from Tulsa to St. Louis... You basically run through it before you leave and you go, okay, I know I'm get when I get to, when I get to the state of Missouri, I need to go another 50 miles and then I'm going to go south and then I'm going to end up in this little town and you're memorizing kind of a brief roadmap so you're not having to look at the Rand McNally the whole way you just kind of have a rough like, I'm going to go west for a while and then I'm going to go south for a while and then I'm going to go east. Um, I do that with my with that bullet page list, I just flash memorize it, so that by the time I get up to preach on Sunday I know the sequence. I know the order. I know the reference, the cross-referencing I'm going to use. And the only time I really come back to my notes is when I know I've got stuff in there that I want to say in a very specific way. And I, or I want people to write it down, or I want them to remember it a specific way. I'll come back to the page because I don't want to, I don't want to ad lib that. And I don't want it to, I want to get it exactly right. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I think because I think why this is important for us to hear you say this, I know that um, I heard Chris Brown from North Coast um, 
we were in a training with him and he was kind of saying a similar thing. He was challenging um, preachers to be less reliant on notes so that it was something that you could put maybe more of your heart and soul into the moment. You know, now my concern is, and this is what I want to ask you about is two things. First of all, how do you keep from saying something really dumb? Um, you, <laughs> you heard you know me? I, mean? I don't. I just say the dumb stuff. Well, maybe so. <laughs> That's true. But I mean, like, I mean, like, like, oh, you know, if you like, like, okay, so you're saying you have a roadmap. I think that's, I think that's the thing everyone, I want everyone to catch is this roadmap is like, you've really thought that roadmap. I've done a lot of work before I got there. Yeah. Yeah. So by the time you get there, you don't, you don't need to go, oh, what do I need to say next? Because you've already, it's, it's logically been laid out for you. Yeah. I'm not, so I'm not, I'm really not ad-libbing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking out of my guts a little bit on Sunday, but I'm doing it in a very specific way that's already been prayed through and thought through and, and organized in a way that I think is logical and builds on itself. So it's not like I'm getting up and just going like, well, I've studied, you know, this text in Genesis and I'm just going to do my best to try and hit all the relevant stuff in the 30 minutes I've got. Like it's a, it's a meticulous thing I'm trying to do, but I give myself space. The nice thing about working on a bullet pointed list is, is that there have been times, it doesn't happen often. But there have been times where I'll get halfway through a message and call this what you will. But I feel like the spirit of God's going, I wouldn't even worry about that last third of the message. Like sit right here in this second third and spend more time on it. And because I'm not in a manuscript, I have the ability to be like, yeah, okay, great. I'm just going to like, I'm going to forget about the last thing I thought I was going to teach because it doesn't feel like I need to do that today. But I I would also want to push back a little. And not Obviously, Chris isn't here, but if he was here, I'd push back. I actually think people can be very um, heart and soul in a manuscript. I know people that that preach beautifully with a manuscripted page, and they they're just not great on the in the moment. Like I I I tend to be fine improvisationally or whatever. But if you're the kind of preacher who does that work in advance and then writes it out and feels like you've got a little bit of security because you've written out exactly what you feel like God put on your heart to say. I don't, I don't think you're losing heart and soul in that. I think it's it, it's a, just an expression of the breadth of who the, the body of Christ is. And you got to lean into the way you're wired. So I would ne- like I I probably wouldn't look at anybody and go, you should do it the way I do it. I would go, maybe maybe you'd find this helpful. But man, follow your gut and find a way to do it that feels like you're honoring Christ in it, you know, because we're all different. And that's part of the that's part of the beauty, you know. Yeah. And I, I mean, that's my, that was my takeaway from what he was saying in terms of, you know, I think that, that he was trying to help us get beyond sometimes like, you know, well, I have these three points and I got to get through them kind of like what you were saying. Right. Um, but I think, I think that's important that you said that too, that, that, uh, cause I know for me, what helps me is if I write it out and I, I took a typing class when I was like in eighth grade. So I know how to type pretty fast so I can just bang stuff out really fast. And it helps me when I write complete sentences, it helps me think complete thoughts, right. you know? And so that's just my own personal style. But then at the same time, you know, you don't want to be that person that's just reading something where people go, man, this person's not like, are they, like, they may not even be saying this consciously, but like, they want to be in the moment with you, right? They want to, they're right. like, we're on this journey together through this passage and they want to see it hitting you the way it's hitting them. Yeah. But I, and I think those can both. So like uh, one of the 
one of the women that preaches at our church, Kristen Patterson, is she's a manuscriptor and she's a beautiful writer. I said Patterson, it's Kristen Hartman, sorry. The people from my church that are in the room will know the difference there. Um, Kristen Hartman will manuscript it out. And uh, I love that because she's a beautiful writer. She's a, she's a way better mm. writer than me. And I want to hear the poetry and what she's written, right? It's very moving. It's very spirit led. But in the moment, she's not um, she's not losing eye contact. She's not down on the page. She's not in her notes. It doesn't feel like she's doing her own thing, uh, disconnected from the rest of the body. It still feels like preaching. It just feels like like she's got everything she wants to say in front of her. But I even feel like she's got in watching her. I feel like she's got room to kind of pivot and move if she wants to. So there's flexibility that can even happen in a manuscripted pattern. So. Yeah. Okay. That's that's good. Because I know by looking at the questions, you know, Ram was asking, um, is it just the, you know, the half page that you use um, to, to preach? But it sounds like it's for you, you just need those like visual cues almost. That's and right. that's all. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's basically me reminding myself of sequence and order, like specific cross references, because I'm not going to hang on to like all the chapter and verse numbers in my head, unless it's really familiar, you know, but most of the time it's me. It's just me wanting to make sure I don't leave anything important out. And by the time I boiled it down to that half page, I've got like the stuff I really feel like I need to say. So let me shift gears here. Um, and then actually Matt was asking about how many people manuscript versus outline. If you want to throw in your, in the chat, what you do, um, if we want to get like a little straw poll, um, I I've always manuscripted, but I try to not to, I try to stay away from I don't want to read it. I want to, I just want to think it, you know, right. it helps me think. And it's kind of like what you were, what you were saying. Um, Mike was asking, this is further back. Do we need to change our thing as the culture changes? I think what he was asking is Darren, have you seen, have you tried to adapt your style to the way that I know like people are saying that, you know, culture, the attention span is lessened and, you know, people are saying, you know, you got to get them in the first 30 seconds or you lose them or you have to preach shorter or whatever the trend may be. How do you react to cultural changes that you hear about in terms of people's listening habits and that sort of thing? I think for me, I'm trying to take the wisdom of of the team. You know, I mean, so if, uh, I have I hear all those things. So, uh, you know, I mean, I hear I'm sure you guys are like this, too. I hear the gamut. I hear people that are like, why don't you teach for an hour? And I hear people that are like, man, we need you just to do it for 20 minutes. I hear people that say, you know, can you make it more funny? Tell more anecdotal stories. Can you do, you know, what, can we do more topical things? I'm hearing all, all the stuff. And for me, most of the time, I mean, occasionally there'll be a thing where I'm like, yeah, I'm not doing that because it's just philosophically opposed to something I believe in with regard to preaching or even the purpose of the church or whatever. But when it comes to preferential things, uh, two things are happening for me. Number one, I'm trusting the fact that like, all of this is dependent upon the movement of the spirit of God. Totally. You know, like, so, so like the moment that I say, well, in order for it to impact somebody, you've got to, you've got to do a thing in the first three minutes, or it's got to, it can't be more than 20 minutes or, you know, like, what am I saying about the power of the spirit of God to impact the person? Uh, people are all different and they come from different walks of life. So part of it is me trusting God's made me uniquely to speak to a unique audience and turning loose of the idea that I got to, I got to reach everybody all the time in every, you know, in every market. I, I'm not looking to sell books. I'm not looking to have a global, you know, video ministry. I like, I just want to minister here at the corner of Bass and Cherry and Brea because God's made me uniquely for this season to impact the people that live in the apartments across the street. And, and so I'm just trying to, I'm trying to do the best I can, but I, 
I, the other thing I was going to say is number one, I trust the power of the spirit of God to be bigger than me and bigger than current sort of thinking on teaching or whatever. But I also listen to the wisdom of the room. So if I'm sitting at the table with, with a team that I also think God has put at our church on purpose that he's called and raised up. And I've got like a majority of people, or I've got the elders saying, we, we feel like we need to try something different. So even just as a practical example of this, we're doing a thing now in our rotation where on the fourth Sunday of the month, we do what we're calling a family Sunday, where we don't have children's ministries or student ministries, but all the students and children come into our main service and we worship together. And the team kind of unanimously looked at me and they went, would you be willing to try on a Sunday just teaching for 25 minutes when the kids are in the room, just to see what that's like? And I was like, there was a part of me that wanted to go like, I teach 30, 35, like, I think I'm going to do my regular thing. But again, I'm sitting with these leaders that I think God has called and they're all going, will you please try this? So I did. I taught for 25 minutes and now they can't stop saying like, we proved it. You can do it. You can teach for 25, <laughs> you know? So, but, but I think that you got like, so there's a bigger issue here, Tim, which has to do with like the stuff that like, I think it's important for us to listen to best practices and to learn from each other. But we're all in different contexts. Like it's it's a different context even in Orange than it is in Fullerton. Like it's a different neighborhood with different people. And so for me to look at what what you're doing or you to look at what I'm doing and going, I'm just going to port that in the same way. And, you know, I'm just going to read what the guy in Chicago is doing or I'm going to read what the guy in San Diego is doing and I'm just going to do the same thing. Like that's not paying attention to the to the street corner God put my church on. And I have to contextualize and go, God put me here and, and I don't want to be rigid, but I also don't want to feel like I'm blown with the winds of cultural demands either, you know? Uh, yeah, I think that's really important. And I think it was very insightful to, for everyone to hear that you're really preaching to your own context. You know, um, I was talking with my son about this because, you know, there are some environments where it's appropriate to quote Homer and there's other environments where it's appropriate to quote Homer Simpson, you know? <laughs> right. and. And, and the, the, the audience, the audience that you're preaching to, and I think sometimes I, like I heard this a long time ago, um, you know, so a lot of people, a lot of guys, uh, a lot of people, men and women are preaching to their seminary professors and they're not even in the room. Right. <laughs> and, right. and it's like, wait a second here, you gotta, you gotta like say, like, who, who do I have here? And so how important, so it sounds like that's really important to you. Like you're really thinking about who's in that room and how that how what you're getting across is hitting them specifically. Yeah. Well, to me, that feels like shepherding. I mean, again, as funky as it is to have the title lead shepherd, it is a constant reminder to me of, of my primary role. I'm, I'm here to, to be an under shepherd of the Lord Jesus and to shepherd the flock of God in this local context. So yeah, I'm doing my best to pay attention to who's there. I'm also doing my best to turn loose. Like, I just so firmly believe, I love, I just love the picture of the body of Christ that goes like the nose doesn't have to be a hand and the hand doesn't have to be a lung and the heart doesn't, have, you know, it, um, it, there's a sense in which I can just be who God created me to be. I talk like I talk and I probably lean towards Homer Simpson more often than I do towards Homer. Right. And I don't have to feel bad about that. I can listen to a John Mark Comer message and he'll preach for an hour and he'll use more quotes from philosophers and historians and these people. And I, and I get that he's popular, but I don't need to be him because God put me on this corner at this time. And he could take me out of here. I can learn from John Mark Comer and I, and I can praise God for the ministry he's got, but I don't need to be him. 
I just need to be me because God's made me to, to be in this place at this time. That's why call, I think calling is so vital to what we do because if you don't feel called to it, then, then you're, yeah, you're going to be miserable all the time trying to fit somebody else's mold. So in our conversation so far, what the, the takeaways I'm gathering is first of all, that you do this, you don't do this in isolation. You do this with a team. For and, sure. Yeah. And what, so talk briefly about the value of that. Cause I know a lot of us feel like, you know, it is a calling and there it's it, at the end of the day, it is, it is an individual thing. I mean, it, you're, you're up there by yourself, but, but you've utilized a team. Um, how, how important is that? Uh, I mean, I love, I can't imagine doing it any other way because again, I got my biases and I got my blind spots. And I will tell you that every time, every time the teaching team meets and we go through a text together, number one, I just like those conversations. There's a great, it's a great group of people. I've kind of hand selected them, but they're, they're, they're lovely. And it's so fun to just wrestle a text together. But I, I walk away with insight or even, even questions. Like they will ask questions that would never have occurred to me and I'll write it down and go, I need to speak. It's something in my message needs to answer that question. Because even though Darren McWaters wouldn't have asked that question, like this person did. And so there's probably, you know, 50 other people who will have the same question. So it's, it's incredibly helpful. Not only is it helpful to me to be, have a more robust message, but I also think it's valuable to our team to feel like there's not just one guy whose voice matters. And I think that's important to our church, that it isn't just a, a, a church built around a singular voice or one guy's opinions or one guy's approach, but that we're kind of doing this thing in collaboration across that. To me, that still just feels like body life. It feels like trying to, trying to all of us fill in our roles underneath the head, you know? So I, I love that collaboration. And in fact, for a little while before COVID, we were doing a thing even in the, we called it in the kitchen where we were meeting in the kitchen. And that was open to anybody from our staff, anybody, uh, for, even from our church, we just had people that would show up and we would, I would basically walk through my outline a few days in advance, like on Tuesday before I was going to preach on Sunday, just to give it one more pass to see if anybody had a question or a comment or if there are things that didn't make sense. We haven't gotten back to that, um, but we may, so. Yeah, and and you don't need. Uh, I mean, obviously, you guys are a, a larger church, um, but you don't need. If you just said, if you're a maybe more of a normal sized church, you don't need like all these, you know, ordained pastors or whatever. You know, you you just need people that are you think right. I mean, who would you select? Yeah, yeah. So I'm just grabbing number one. I'm grabbing people who I have been taught by. So like, I want to hear the voices of people who have taught me. You know, people that I that I'm inspired by. People who've come alongside me and said like, here's a different thing to think. So that's, that's my primary is like, I want to, I want to sit with people that I feel like are inspirational to me. I want to, for the most part, I think there are people that have teaching or preaching gifts. Um, some of them are younger people on my team that I want to, uh, that I want to pass the torch to in some ways. And some of them are older people on our team that I want, I want to receive the torch from. Right. But then I've also got people on that teaching team that are just uh, people that I've met in our church over time that I just know love the scriptures and I'm interested in the way they look at it. You know, they maybe just have a different lens and yeah, they're not all ordained ministers. They're not, I mean, it's not all, it's not all pros. It's just fun to hear the way different eyes look at the same text. Yeah. So it's something that any, anybody on this call can do. I mean, you can just grab a handful of people right. and, and have a convenient time. And so how often do does, uh, do, do you guys, do you meet it as a teaching team? 
So we, we were in a rhythm where we, we would meet for like four weeks and then we would take like a month off and then we would meet for four weeks and then we would take a month off. We've been out of that rhythm for a little while. Um, I, you know, it's been a weird season for me, stuff at the church. I'm sure this is true for everybody on the team or that's on the call, but it's been a, it's been a, just like a brutal season of ministry for me personally. So there was a season where like, I just needed a little bit of extra space and a little bit of extra time. And then with COVID and whatever. So um, the teaching team actually is is meeting tomorrow. We'll meet every Thursday in October, and uh, we'll be doing both some long term planning and some looking at Genesis. But uh, I would say that's that that pattern has probably been like a month on, a month off, a month on, a month off, like that. And I try to be looking at text with the teaching team a pretty solid like four or five months out. So like I, that's long range looking, not not short range. You seem to be a pretty authentic guy or, you know, kind of open about stuff. You know, you just kind of share, you know, you're even like self-effacing a little bit. How important is, is that um, you think? And like, is that just something that comes natural to you? Is that something like, do, do you, you know, how, how much when you're preaching, do you feel like people get the real you and, and, and how important is that? So, I would say philosophically, I'm teaching in the way I like to learn. And I like to learn from people who feel like, uh, like real people. I want I, when I listen to somebody and I learn from them, I want to feel like I'm seeing the same person over a coffee table that I am from the platform or whatever, you know, like the, the greatest influencers in my life are people that just like, they get it right some of the time and they get it wrong some of the time and they don't feel like they got to put on a false voice or a false mask. There's not like a weird agenda. There's no hands behind the back or whatever, you know, it just feels like everything's. So I, I probably am. Um, I probably at times even frustrate people in our church because they want me to take a more, uh, some of them want me to take a more powerful voice or they want me to take a more authoritative stance or uh, you know, they're, they're used to, some of them are used to, uh, the old school pastor who was like the prophet Elijah, you know, or whatever. And that's just not my, that's just not my posture. My posture is like, I'm a part of the body of Christ. I got certain gifts and callings and whatever. I'm going to utilize those, but I'm, you spend enough time with me and you'll see I'm a broken guy. I got, I got great moments and crummy moments and like, let's watch, walk the path together. I think that's really vital um, because I don't, I don't know, at least for me, I, I have a hard time trusting the, even if it's like, even if it's just a, like a theological point, you know, if it's just a theological bullet point, I have a hard time trusting the theology of a person who seems like they're fake, you know, or seems like they're like, they have a upfront persona and a, and a, da- you know, a downfront persona or, or the kind of person that walks out on the stage and, and delivers this message and then disappears and you can't find them. You can't see them. You don't have any idea what their life's like. I I would rather deal with the drama of having people go, we see what you're like and we don't like it. <laughs> we, we, we see that you're not a perfect guy and that bugs us. I'd rather deal with that drama than to put up some sort of a false front that I think would undermine the message I'm trying to teach more broadly, you know? Absolutely. And I think it takes courage to be that kind of person. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I, I just think it's to me. It just feels like a practical reality. It feels like I can't, I can't do this job and be somebody false because it undermines my belief in the grace of God. Like, if I have to put on a, if I have to put on a facade to be a decent pastor, 
then I really don't believe that the grace of God is enough, you know? So I don't know if it's, it doesn't feel like courage in my guts. It feels like just practical reality. Like I'm a sinner saved by grace. And so is everybody I'm trying to shepherd and lead. And like, I just don't feel like pretending about that, even if it gets me in trouble. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I just think it's important for people to hear too, that, that it is that the medium is the message so often, right? I mean, you know, you, it's not just the message, it's the message contained in that, that has, the spirits put in you and that package, you and the message coming together right. is what impacts people when they hear someone who's saying, you know, I, my marriage isn't always the best and I don't always succeed at this. And I feel sometimes like I'm a failure or whatever, that that's far more engaging to people than, oh yeah, here's a guy, you know, here's a person that just is like, you know, they got it all together. I mean, and we right. know that, but I don't know if we practice that. Well, and it feels like it undermines, like, I, I think the other thing too, at least for me is the comparison thing again. So I can look at uh, famous pastors, or I can look at famous theologians, or I can look at guys whose ministries are bigger or fancier. They got more hits on their stream or whatever. And, and I can go like, if I just put on their affectation, or if I just did it the way they did it, then maybe there'd be more people, or maybe people would like me more. Maybe there'd be less complaints. Maybe I'd be, you know, whatever. And you just have to turn loose of that and go, no, God put me on the corner of Baston, Cherry and Brea to be there in McWaters, you know, and, and that's all I got to be, you know, so, cause it's, it's, I don't think anybody gets up in the morning and goes, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to be fake. You know, like I'm going to put on a mask and I'm going to try and pull one over on the congregation. I think that happens uh, like it's like a, an incremental shift where you turn loose of the truth of who you are over time because you just are tired of being criticized or you're tired of you feel like maybe if I just put away this part of myself, then I'd be more popular or I or more people would come here or more people would accept Jesus or whatever. And those are lies. That's just a lie. It's a trick. It's a marketing thing that you can just get sucked into and you got to go, nah. No, no, no. I, I love um, what John the Baptist says in John 3 to his disciples because they're super worried. In John 3, when, when the, Jesus and his disciples come and start baptizing people, the, the disciples of John the Baptist are like, hey, he's stealing all our customers, basically. And John the Baptist is like, eh, nobody receives anything except that which they receive from heaven, right? You yourself testify that I'm not the Messiah. I'm the one who comes before him. The friend of the bridegroom is the one who stands to the side and rejoices the joy of someone else. I am decreasing and he is increasing. And that's the only thing that matters. I, I love the fact that John the Baptist, that just seems like it comes out of John the Baptist's guts. He's like, uh, we're not, we're not worried about how long our line is. We're not trying to baptize more people than anybody else. We're not trying to, we're not trying to compete. We're just trying to do the thing Jesus put in front of us. You know, that God, God put a ministry in front of us. And if it was for a season, if it's over now, it's better for them to go be dunked in the water by Jesus anyway. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. I, I, and again, I just I want people to hear that because we because we're we're all, we're going to go on a few minutes. We're going to go off into our own little churches and in our own little pockets of 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 um, our our context and everything else. And and no one really understands what it's like to be that voice on stage unless you are the person doing it. And it does require. Um, it does require courage and it does require faith and it does require skill. But I, I love what you're saying because we got to lean into that, that authenticity. And, and then, and then also realize, like you said, you know, I'm, I'm, I am the person that God's called to be here for this time. So with that, let me, let me shift. Cause I think this is a really important question that Ron asked is obviously, and we're going to get here at some point, 
you know, COVID politics, divisiveness. Um, I know you guys have, have not been, uh, you know, not emerged unscathed from all this as well, even, even at a place like Fullerton Free. I mean, you're, you're high, higher profile in the area. Um, man, how have you been dealing with that? And how have you been surviving in this very, very unique, heated political climate? Well, I mean, mostly through therapy. That's that's answer number one, right? Just find a decent counselor so you don't curl up in a you know fetal position under a desk someplace. Um, so I, you know, the reality is I just it's growth. I mean, I mentioned this already. I'm I'm guessing it's like this for all of us who are leading in different contexts. But like I I take criticism on every end of every spectrum. So it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what I say. And it can be a theological thing. I'm not political. So like, I don't do, I don't do political talk at all. Um, but there is a sense in which uh, even just in working through a text, you know, people can see that there are things in the biblical text that speak to governments and citizenship and discipleship among our neighbors and whatever. And, and like their, their flags go off, you know, and then, and then they want to write. But I, in this season for me, I will tell you, I, I wouldn't say that I've handled it very well. You know, I think I've, I think I've handled it poorly. Just personally, I, I've been like, I mean, Tim and I had a phone call in February where I pretty much sobbed through that whole thing, I think. But, but I feel like I'm coming out on the other side. And the key for me, uh, one of the things I found really, um, really helpful is uh, if you haven't read, um, and I'll get back to the politics thing with regard to preaching, but if you haven't read the book, called Tempered Resilience uh, that's by a guy from Fuller. I'm going to blank on his name. Somebody somebody put it in the notes if you know. But he talks about not losing heart or nerve. Uh, when you lose nerve, that's when people get frustrated and you go, okay, never mind. We'll just go back to what we were before. And when you lose heart, that's when people get frustrated and you go, these people are jerks and you walk away. So uh, Todd Bolsinger is the name of the, of the author, by the way, of Tempered Resilience. And Bolsinger says, man, as a shepherd and a leader, you can't lose heart and you can't lose nerve. You don't give up on the people and you don't give up on the mission. You go through the fire, right? And he uses a blacksmith analogy and he's like, God's going to refine you into a better tool. But that means heat and hammering and pressure and pain. And you just got to not quit. Like, don't give up, push through. And, and God will use you as a better tool on the other side. So, I mean, that was really helpful. That, that book came out at a time it felt like he wrote me a letter because I was feeling like I was losing heart and nerve. And I, and it, it was sort of bolstered my reminder of, of the calling of God in my life. As far as how we handle politics or uh, racial injustice or whatever in our teaching, I, I only address things that are in the text. If it's in the text, um, if it's in the text, I'll address it. And even if that's, I mean, very pointed, uh, I, I'll address things very pointedly if they're in the text, but I don't set aside the text to make a political speech. Um, it's got to be there because again, I'm trusting the process. So we were prayerful and spirit led and laying out what we're going to teach. And I trust that the right text is going to come up at the right time um, for what our congregation needs to hear. Um, I, I got up in front of the congregation a couple of weeks ago in the midst of teaching through Genesis. And I said, you know, there's a, you know, when we're, when we're talking about God calling Abram to leave, his country and his people and his household. I'm like, God is calling him to a different allegiance, you know? And in this season, I've had people sit me down. And I said this from the stage, I said, I've had people sit me down and go, we've been listening to you and we've been watching the way you act. And we think that maybe you're a Democrat, you know, and like, and they'll kind of put me on the spot. 
And, and so I just said in front of the whole congregation, I said, let me just make it as clear as I possibly can. I'm not a Democrat. I'm also not a Republican. I'm a card-carrying member of the kingdom of God. I've been called to ambassadorship above everything else, and my allegiance is with Jesus. And neither the Democratic Party or the Republican Party or any other human institution is infallible. Like, I'm not going to throw my cards in with anybody other than the kingdom of God. Like, that's what I'm called to do in this city. And that made some people happy and that made some people mad, right? So, you know, you can't win. But that's that's my approach is I'm going to teach what's in the text and I'm not going to turn a moment that's supposed to be about the glory of God and the good of others and making disciples. Um, I'm not going to turn that moment into a platform for human agendas. If anything, the, the prophetic sections of the end of the book of Daniel tell us again and again that none of these human institutions will stand, right? They're all they're all fading. So I'm not I'm not putting my hope in any of that. No, I, again, I think if I'm speaking for everyone here, Darren, I think that's such a good word. We have to, we have a message and that message has to push as hard against the culture as the culture is pushing against us. Because there's this idea, you know, and I go back to that Joshua five, you know, when Joshua sees the guy and, you know, who's, he says, whose side are you on? He sees the angel of the Lord, doesn't realize who it is. You know, whose side are you on us or our enemies? And he's like, no, <laughs> right. Like your question is stupid. Um, I'm, I'm on the side of the Lord and that's the third side. And, and, and I, and he's, you know, and then he realizes, and he had to, he had to, um, come to that, that place. So I I think, and I, I, again, I love this because hopefully it's, people are getting courage dripped into them because we need to be affirmed in these kinds of things. So let me ask you this then, um, we only have a few more minutes left here. Do, Do you get feedback and, if so, how do you get feedback and and wrap that into how how do you get better? Who yeah. gives you feedback? How do you continue to learn? Do you ever seek outside help on that, or what, what's your thought on that? When Good. So, so I get I get lots of feedback whether I like it or not. Um, but I will tell you that in my time at Fullerton Free, I have the best. I'm getting the best feedback I've ever gotten in my life, and it's from a guy on our staff, a guy named Billy, and I, he doesn't even like he didn't he didn't craft this for me, but early on when I came here, um, he would do this thing where he'd come up to me after my first. So I, right now we have two services, but he would come up to me after, after the first service. And what he had done is he had written out like almost like outlined what I taught and he's got like, uh, even time. So he'll go, you, you spent 10 minutes on your first point and then you told this story and that took six minutes. And then you went off on this little tangent and that took two minutes. Then you came back your second point. So he's got it outlined with, with time signatures. And then he'll look at me and he'll go, to be honest with you, when you got to this thing, I wanted to hear more about that. And he goes, so I'm wondering as you go into your next, as you go into your next one, like maybe could you tell this story, which took you 10 minutes? Could you tell that story in six minutes and then give an extra four minutes to this thing you said about Abram that I just, I never heard that before. And I'd like to hear you explain it more. So it's this very like, it's not critical. He doesn't go, hey, this whole thing was a waste of time or I, I didn't like that. Don't tell that story again. He's not, he's not bashing me. He literally is going like, here's what you taught and how long it took. And I think this is, in my opinion, the most important thing you said. Make sure you say that again. Sometimes he looks at me and he goes, don't touch it. Just leave it alone. But many times he'll go, Hey, I would just love to hear more about this. And to be honest, you told this story and I don't, I don't know that that really gained you any ground. I think you could lose that story and it wouldn't change the message at all, but it would buy you time to talk more about this, which you kind of rushed through. 
that to me is the most helpful feedback I've ever gotten in, in my life. Uh, I've worked at churches where you get done teaching and they bash you, or you'd have to sit and watch it on a screen on Monday or Tuesday. And they tell you all the things you did wrong. I, that's just not my love language, right? I don't do great at like hearing all the things people hated about my message, but to have a guy who I know loves me, I know loves my teaching go, here's how to make that particular message more effective. I think over time, that's, that's actually really affected me in, in great ways. So that's one of the ways I think I'm improving. And one of the ways I get feedback, I, I seek out Billy. Like if he doesn't come find me on Sundays, I go find him. Cause I want to have that conversation with him. Um, I also listen to a lot of preaching. So I, you know, I'm a guy who, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a junkie when it comes to listening to preachers and teachers. So I'm always searching out new teachers. You know, I'll get done with the pastor's conference and I'll start listening to the teaching of guys I was at the conference with, or, you know, like I just, I'm always in the hunt for more teaching. So that I think also helps me grow. And then I'll occasionally read a book or whatever, just on communication or teaching or just to make sure I'm keeping my chops up and you know that sort of thing but it's mostly it's mostly you know listening to others that i think sort of shapes my teaching over time yeah and if you only have one service the way around that is and i know some churches that do this the the um the if you could just get up on a friday or something and you could get that you could get that group of people and just practice it right and or just run through it almost and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And, you know, some kind of even pre-feedback, because if you have one service, you have one shot and then you're like, you can't, you know, it's hard because right. you can't go back and fix it. And that's kind of what my in the kitchen meeting was in some ways. Like I came with a rough outline and then it was interesting because we'd have people from like our accounting office or retired missionaries or whatever, people that just came because they they want to talk about the Bible and they, there, there was always really good feedback from a perspective of like, I don't know, I don't know what you even mean. When you said that second point, that doesn't make sense to me. Or, you know, there were really fun things to kind of push me in that as well. So, right. And so I, again, what I'm getting from this is there's a team approach that you're using. I also, uh, I think what we've gotten is how much time you spend marinating on the passage you don't walk, you know, you don't walk into a coal on a, on a Thursday morning or whatever, three days before you, you daily, even though you have all your other pastoral, right. you know, uh, shepherding executive duties in the church daily, you are engaging with the text daily. Yeah. You are trying to figure out what you can do and you have a system that has worked for you. So I'm, I'm getting, I definitely, I think that's a big thing. And then I think just even your, your saying, Hey, we need to stay focused on, on the kingdom and on the gospel and to, to, to stay away from the political stuff uh, and be aggressive about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, it's just keeping, I mean, that's, it's old, but it's just keeping the main thing, the main thing, you know, like, what is it, what, what is it we're trying to do? Um, And it's, I, I think, I don't even know who I heard say this, but it feels like in the past, people would, they would, they would adjust, like see their life. Their worldview was all shaped through the lens of Christ, you know, and biblical truth. So their politics and their view of their neighbor and their view of the world, all these things were shaped through the lens of Christ. And in this season, it feels like people have flipped the telescope around, right? And they're, they're looking through the wrong side. And so they're seeing Jesus through the lens of their politics or through the lens of their financial situation or through their stress or whatever. And I think part of our job is just to go, no, 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 you, 
you got to see everything the other way. You got to turn it and see all this through the lens of, of the kingdom of God, the glory of God, the work of Christ. That, that stuff feels really vital and it's easy to get sidetracked, you know? Yeah. Well, um, Hey, I so appreciate this. And there's so much we didn't get to. I want to remind everybody on this call that we do have a podcast, EFCA West podcast. Um, I've got an interview I'm doing with Greg Strand on the doctrine of hell. So that should be fun. Um, And, but there's a reason, there's a very big reason we're doing that. Um, I'm also going to be taught. There's several other episodes where we're going to be recording pretty soon. It'd be pretty exciting. There's all kinds of things going on. Um, if you haven't subscribed, I mean, obviously you probably are all on our email list because that's how you found out about this, but please engage as, as many people on your church staff or elders or, you know, um, lay people that you think would, would this would be valuable to, to be able to, um, keep up with what's happening with us. Please, uh, join our email list, check out our website, please reach out to us. A lot of times people think that the district staff is busy. Um, and we are busy, but we're supposed to be busy. And you guys, you all are, are, are our business. And we'd love being at, coming out to see you, help you think through leadership issues. And really what this is, is just connecting. I mean, I, I'm not saying I have the answers. This is peer to peer. This is, yeah. this is one of our churches being able to help the rest of the rest of all of you. And so we're, that's really what we do is we're just putting it out there. Um, we do have one more ticket for the North Coast Leadership Conference. If you want that. Um, please reach out to Sochi and she can, the first person that reaches out to her and, you know, offers her that right amount of money. Um, no, just the first person that reaches out to her, uh, you'll get it. So with that, um, the other thing I have to know is that someone who is at Darren's church on staff at, uh, at Darren's church is Jenny key. And Jenny is are also the chairman of the board, the chair of our board for EFCA. So um, we're very glad to have her on the call. We're very glad that she's serving at Fullerton Free. And so I've asked Jenny to close our time in prayer. So if you'd do that, please. Thank you. Father, we're so grateful for this time. I love the iron sharpening iron. Thank you for Darren and his insights, his heart, his humility, which absolutely I'll attest to, and the excellence with which he handles your word. So Father, will you quicken that in each of us? Each of us are teaching around a, a kitchen table or from a pulpit and um, help us look more like you in the so doing. Thanks for the sweet time and the, the great fellowship that occurs when we hear each other's hearts. So we're so grateful in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Darren. Thank you, everybody, for being on. And, and we'd love to see you again. God bless. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.